Good morning. So we continue our, our morning devotionals. I know I'm staying in the same place, but I just feel like these imperatives that Paul gives us in Ephesians 4, 25 and following really form the basis of the life of a Christian. So we've been talking about how do you become spiritually sighted? How do you become spiritually discerning? Well, if you don't have these basic, if you don't have the, this framework, then all the discernment becomes unstable. And one of the biggest issues is, is how you deal with threats, with conflict, with hurts, with wounds. How you deal with, you know, the the sense of justice or fairness inside of you when you live in a world that's not fair, that's not just. And you have a, a God-given uh, sensitivity to what is good and a need to defend what is good, but also a need to defend against or even to attack what is evil. And so... You cannot live in a way without experiencing anger. And so Paul, Paul in this passage for Christian lifestyle talks about what do we do with anger. He says, in your anger, do not sin. So we've been talking about the fact that he, he's saying that there are things that it is right to be angry about. But, he says, anger is dangerous. So he says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. And the Greek word there for foothold, or that's translated foothold here, is the word topos. And it means a place. In other words, you're giving him access. And if you give the devil access, he's not going to be content just keeping you angry. He's going to want to, to, in a sense, exploit that access to bring about some very destructive things in your life. So this is, this is Paul's way of saying that, that most of the ground that Satan gains in the lives of Christians is really due to unprocessed, uh, you know, unforgiven anger, wounds, slights, offenses. We talked yesterday about resentment. Uh, resentment is, is kind of a cold anger against someone or something, but it, it is the accounting of offenses and the accompanying emotion to resentment, the inner experience of resentment is bitterness. And so we can have, we can have hot anger, that burns like a rage when someone has done us wrong or when life has been unfair. Or we can have a kind of cold anger that, that grows slowly but prolifically. So here in this scripture and in other scriptures, Paul says we are warned to forgive others so that Satan cannot take advantage of us. He says that in 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. God has called upon you. He, he is in, he's saying, this is my command for your own good to forgive from the heart. In Matthew 18, 34 and 35, 
where the two servants both have debts. One has a debt the size of a national debt. The other has a $10 debt. And the one who has the huge debt is forgiven, but is unable or unwilling to forgive the $10 debt. And so because of his unforgiveness, he is thrown into prison, debtor's prison, and he's handed over. And Jesus uses the word to the tormentors, not just to the jailers, but to the tormentors. So this is, this we began to understand that forgiveness, processing your anger, dealing with your anger is critical. And what makes our forgiveness legal and what makes our forgiveness righteous is because of the cross. God gave Christ what we deserve so that now he gives us what Jesus Christ deserves. This is a whole new category. It's not justice and it's not injustice. It's mercy and it's grace. And he gave us just what we needed. And he did so according to his mercy. And so the scriptures are really clear. It says, as you have received mercy, so you are to give mercy. Here in Ephesians 4.31, it says you are to forgive just as you have been forgiven by God in Christ. Now, some people try to forgive by trying to forget what people have done, or even they try to forgive by excusing what others have done. Let me, let me tell you, forgetting is not the cause of forgiveness, nor is excusing someone's behavior the cause. Actually, to, to try to forget as the cause of your forgiveness means that the offense is still unreconciled. To excuse a person for what they've done and say, well, you know, they can't help themselves, they have a bad background, you know, they have, were having a bad day, you're hurting yourself because you're saying, the feelings that I have of justice are the feelings of fairness, are the feelings of protecting good boundaries or defending what is good and attacking what is evil. You're delegitimizing all your feelings by excusing somebody else's behavior, and you haven't actually done the hard work of forgiveness. You're bypassing it. You see, when God says he will remember our sins no more, you know that an all-knowing God doesn't just delete that from the file. But rather it means that though he knows exactly what your debt is, he no longer treats you as one in debt, for he has himself paid the debt in Jesus Christ. So that whatever is going on in your life right now, there is no more condemnation. There is no more punishment. Even if you're messing up big time, God bears no ill will towards you because all of his righteous anger and judgment has been exhausted in Jesus now, it's very possible, and many of us find, that as we truly forgive people, we can't even remember why we were so angry. We can't even remember why it hurt so much. But forgetting is usually, really forgetting is a byproduct of having done the hard work of forgiving. And then we deal with people in a way where we're not constantly bringing up their past, using it against them, making sure that others know how bad they are, 
Because you see, in a way, it is, it is taking the account of the injuries that we suffered, the, the wounds that we have experienced, and, in, and instead of keeping that account, Lisa used the uh, great illustration, it's like a miser counting his gold, is a resentful or bitter person counting the offenses that people have done against them. And instead of that, because of the cross, we count even those offenses as forgiven. But you can't just do that conceptually. This is what's so interesting is after years of, of teaching on emotional healing and doing courses on emotional healing, years of uh, working together with uh, Rob Reamer and Ron Walborn on soul care, uh, Holy Spirit weekends, different things and experiences, as I find people can understand the idea of healing. They can understand the concepts of soul care. But so many do not want to do what is a constant work of dealing with their anger. What happens a lot of times is the spirit doesn't bring up all the things you need to deal with at once because you can't handle them. So at the proper time, he begins to unpack certain layers of pain, of offenses, of areas that need forgiveness. Now, here's the thing. If you understand the nature of anger, anger is energy that is, that, that is within you, that is awakened against something or against someone. And particularly when either you, you, you hear something, you experience something, you feel something that you perceive as a threat. Now, it could be a threat against something you care about. It could be a threat in terms of somebody's betraying you, somebody's letting you down, somebody's disappointing you. But, but that energy is awakened. And once it's awakened, it has to be dealt with. Um, I did a study some, year, some years ago about what anger does to the, to the chemicals in your body. And anger awakens adrenaline in a very big way. And this is, this is a terrible statistic, and it's been years since I've looked at it. But there was a study that showed that most men who died of heart attacks had had some kind of conflict. Many of them had had arguments with their wives, and they had not dealt with the adrenaline that was aroused, like, aroused in their bodies. And they'd gone to work or they'd gone to do whatever they did. And the adrenaline was just overwhelming their heart. And they had a heart attack and many of them died. And I remember seeing that statistic and I was like, wow. So in other words, there's not only a spiritual consequence. You give the devil access. But there are physical consequences to this energy being awakened within you. That means you have to deal with it. So here is what Paul is, is getting at. He's saying, when anger is aroused, in other words, there's something real that has happened. There's an offense. There's a sin. You could call it a trespass. Jesus talks about those who have trespassed against you. Or you could call it a transgression. I've been trying to, to really you know, hammer home that you as a person have boundaries. You have a beginning. You have an end. 
God himself is the enforcer of the boundaries of your life. This is what it means to be in the covenant with God under his covenantal love. So when people transgress your boundaries, it is a, it is a good thing. It means you're getting to a healthy place that your energy within is awakened to protect or to stand up for those boundaries. But here's the thing. When somebody transgresses, when somebody trespasses, when they commit a sin, when they have an offense against you, you cannot ignore the fact that now the relationship has changed. There is a debt. A sin incurs a debt. An offense incurs a debt. A trespass, a transgression incurs a debt. That's what Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, says, forgive my trespasses as I forgive those who have trespassed against me. There's a debt that has to be dealt with. So that debt does not disappear. That's why forgetting is not the cause. That's why excusing the person is not the cause. It's when you actually face the debt that the person has incurred. Neil Anderson, in, in teaching how to forgive, has a, a, a bit of a, a, a formula that helps, truthfully. Uh, he says this, I forgive and you name the person. But you don't just say, I forgive, then you say, for. Now you're naming the debt. Here's what they did to me. And the more specific you get, the more you're dealing with the debt. And then to really deal with the debt and then to choose to forgive, you say, here's how what they did made me feel. Not just it made me feel angry. Sometimes it's stuff like it made me feel worthless. It made me feel dirty. It made me feel like I didn't matter to this person whatsoever. It made me feel so disappointed. You see, it's not just trying to put it aside like it doesn't hurt you. There's a debt, and the debt has to be dealt with. See, here's what the enemy knows. He knows that once you're angry, energy is awakened in you. And he also knows that most Christians don't even know how to deal with this energy. Second thing he knows, he knows there's a debt. And he's been watching you and your family for generations, and he knows how you deal with your debt. Some people it's revenge. Some people it's shutting down. Some people it's withdrawing their presence. But everybody has a way of dealing with their debt. And most of us, our way of dealing with the debt is detrimental to ourselves. Because the Bible says there's only one way that you can deal with the debts that life and people in your life have, you know, in a way, exacted from you. And that's forgiveness. Forgiveness is a choice then. See, it's a crisis of will. It's not a feeling first. The feeling of forgiveness means that you have done the hard work of choosing forgiveness as a decision of your will, that you have decided to grant forgiveness even before you feel it. But that means you have to face the debt. You have to acknowledge the hurt. This is one of the hardest things I see for Christians is that often our anger doesn't stay anger. It becomes hate. And many of us as Christians, we feel so guilty about hating people that we won't face the hate that we feel for those who have hurt us the most deeply. 
But you see, if you're going to really forgive from the heart, which is the only thing that Jesus says, he says you must forgive from the heart. In the same way you expect your own trespasses to be forgiven, he says forgive the trespasses of others. So if Jesus is requiring it of you, it means he's helping you. In a way, you don't have to say, oh Lord, please help me to forgive. He's already helping you. It's a choice where you begin to say, Lord, I'm going to do the hard work. I'm going to grant forgiveness even before anybody asks, and I'm going to grant it before I feel it. God, God would never ask you to do something that he isn't already helping you to do. You know, and this pulls against, there's, there's a very real sense that this pulls against the energy of something bad has happened, and, and how can I forgive this person when they haven't been reconciled, they haven't paid? Well, this goes back to the cross again. In some way, you're going to live with the debt of what people have done for you. Now, you can absorb the debt as Jesus has absorbed your debt, or you can live in the bitterness. You can live in a bondage of that bitterness, and you can count your offenses. And you can measure life by how many slights, how many offenses, how many bad things have happened to you. That's no way to live, but you could do that. A lot of people do that. But as a believer who has been forgiven much, isn't it so real to you that how much has been forgiven you? Now, what is it that Jesus is asking? Is it too big? If it was not too big for him to forgive you, it's not too big for you to forgive the others. Uh, sometimes one of the anger that we have, one of the strongest anger is with God himself. But I have found mostly that we're angry at ourselves, disappointed. And so it's really a beginning to let everything of his forgiveness wash over me, you know, soften my heart, so instead of protecting myself, I'm trusting in his protection. I'm trusting in his promises that my forgiveness of them is releasing the experience and the capacity for me to live in his forgiveness of me. When you let them off your hook, you're just saying, God, you are just. God, you are the judge. You will deal with them. And I will trust you. I will trust you to do that. Well, Again, let's go back to the spiritual consequence. If you don't let these folks off the hook, you're hooked to them. And their, their pain, your pain with them, continues. But the enemy is a coward. Satan and the demons are cowards. They look for your, your greatest vulnerability. This is why Paul says, do not give the devil a place connecting it to unprocessed anger. It's because when you are in pain, the enemy senses an opportunity. So hurt, disappointment, betrayal, uh, conflict, threats, all of these things are, are means of intimidation that he can come and say, let me have access. Let me have a place. And of course, in the midst of that, he accuses God of not caring about you. If he really loved you, this wouldn't have happened to you. You see, no one really cares about you. You have to protect yourself. You have to look out for number one. 
So you have to begin to understand that there, there have been moments in your life where you have allowed access to the enemy, probably somewhat unaware. Now, here's the thing. Let's, let's talk about this in some depth. In the scriptures, particularly uh, in the New Testament, there are 17 different occasions where the scriptures write about people who are under the influence, even some to the point of being under the control of the demonic. You know, nine specific places in the, in the Gospels where we see Jesus dealing with people who are under the influence of demons. In Luke, I mean, in Mark 1, there's a man in the synagogue. This guy's a member of the synagogue. His demon doesn't manifest till Jesus is present. So in the presence of God, the demon can't keep silent, and he manifests in the man in the synagogue. In Luke 8, there are women who are healed of evil spirits. There's Mary Magdalene who's set free from demons. Matthew has numerous occasions of people who are blind or mute. And the cause of it is the presence of an evil or unclean spirit. This happens uh, uh, on a, 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 a terrible level of influence all the way to control when Jesus encounters the Gadarene demoniac. This is a person who has a maximum level of demonic control over his life. There's a little boy. There's a daughter. There are all these people throughout the Gospels that Jesus encounters who the cause of their affliction in their life was the presence of an unclean spirit. And the manifestation of that unclean spirit was detrimental to that person and to their family. Now, Let's think about this for a minute. So every time that it's talking about these people who are, who are highly influenced or are to some degree influenced by the presence of the person, a demonic person, it uses a Greek word there. I know it's early in the morning, but sometimes you've got to look at the original language to understand what the Bible's teaching. And the word that is used is the word, it's a Greek word from which we get the word demon. So the there's three parts of this word, daimonitomenos. So the demon, this is a three-part word. So the demon is acting, okay? So the demon is acting. And then the, the ending is a special ending because it is a passive ending. So in that one word that describes what's going on in these people's lives, we begin to see the agenda of Satan. Now, why do I say that? Because if if you're going to effectively deliver, be delivered or deliver other people from the influence and the control of the enemy, you have to know what the enemy's agenda is. So here in the scriptures, in the Gospels, we clearly see by the biblically inspired word what the agenda of Satan is. And this is it. A demon wants to act in your life causing a passivity in you 
that is unknown to you, deceiving you in such a way that you don't realize the actions of the demon have now eclipsed your own actions and personality. So what's the agenda of Satan in every person's life? Render you passive. What did I say forgiveness is? Forgiveness is the opposite of passivity. Forgiveness is a choice. It is a decisive act of your will, granting forgiveness even before you feel it. In other words, Satan wants you to say, hey, wait till they ask for forgiveness. Wait till they deserve forgiveness. You just passively wait because he knows if he can keep you in unforgiveness, he can render you passive so that then he can exploit your passivity. This, this, is, this is borne out again and again in Jesus' narratives. What, Jesus, what, what the writers, gospel writers do is they said, say this. Listen, now listen carefully. This man or this person was mute because he had a spirit of muteness. Okay, now let's follow with me in this. Or this man was blind and mute. Or this man couldn't hear and was mute because it had a spirit, an unclean spirit. And it actually would name the spirit a spirit of muteness or whatever it might be. So what is it saying? Well, it's saying that this man has perfectly good vocal cords. Nothing wrong with the physical apparatus. But the presence of the evil spirit, the spirit of muteness or the spirit of deafness, has now rendered perfectly vo good vocal cords passive, and now he cannot speak. Or perfectly good eyesight, you know, eye system, is rendered passive, so he cannot see. Or the hearing is rendered passive. So what did Jesus do? He cast out the demon. He didn't heal the vocal cords. He just got rid of the influence of the demon. The passivity went away, and the man could speak. The man could hear. The man could see. See, the same is true of what Paul is talking about here, is that when you are rendered passive, you begin to say things like, I'm just an angry person. I just can't help myself. You know, when I get angry, I lose my temper. You see, that's, those are the words of a passive person. I've heard this over and over again. You know, I'm just a, I'm just a red-blooded human being. I have lust in my life. There's nothing I can do about this lust. This is just who I am, and this is just how I am. Do you understand? Those are telltale signs. Those are the symptoms that a human being has been rendered passive by a spirit of lust or a spirit of anger or a spirit of anxiety or worry or fear. And you know what the scripture says? You can stand up to any of that stuff, but you've got to take the ground bow. You have to begin to realize he, Jesus has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So if you're sitting there saying, I just can't help but be fearful, then you are saying, I have been rendered passive by the lies of Satan, and I believe that I'm nothing but a fearful person. I, I just can't, you know, I can't overcome lust in my life. Well, then you're believing the lies of Satan. You've been rendered passive. Instead of saying, I have reckoned myself dead to sin and alive to God. And here's the thing. The enemy that renders us passive is already a defeated foe. It is the easiest thing to be delivered from. They have no right to be there with you except that you have believed their lives and you have allowed yourself to be passive. So, as we put this together, 
What is it the agenda of the enemy? He wants you to be the recipient of the demonic activity. And then he wants to exert control over you, influencing you to become a passive person. See, the problem with so many Christians, they want to say, well, you know, the devil can't, deal, the devil can't affect Christians or the devil can't this or that or whatever it is. Part of the problem, and I know this is somewhat intense, but, but part of the problem is that there was an unfortunate translation of this word daimonizomenos. And, and in the King James, it was translated demon possession. It's an unfortunate translation because it's confusing. You understand... God never gave up ownership of you. You are twice his, actually. You are his because he created you. But you're also his because he redeemed you. But he never gave up ownership of anybody. The creator did not yield ownership to Satan. When, when Adam and Eve fell, God didn't lose his place. We gave our place to Satan. And now it's time that you step out of passivity and you begin to take your spot back and you begin to give the ground that the enemy has gained. I like to use the word demonization or demonize because the whole issue is not about possession or ownership. God never gives up ownership. The issue is influence. The issue is control. Here, here is what the demon's agenda is. To sow replace your personality with the spirit that has been assigned against you, whether it's anger or fear or lust or uh, anxiety, whatever it is, disobedience, whatever it is that's supercharging the negative side of your soul, this demon wants you to believe that its personality is your personality. And we do it so easily. And we do it stereotypically. Like my, my family, my father's side of the family is Irish. My grandfather was a red-headed Irishman. And my dad would, would make excuses all the time. Well, he's a redhead. He's an Irishman. Yeah, he had a temper. He beat me. He abused me. You know, he, he was never a father who I could trust. And he's just excusing the passive behavior because that's just who he is. And, and I grew up in a family that was church-going, and there was such passivity about anger. Well, I had no idea when I came into adulthood, I had been passed down this spirit of anger. And I had to take a stand, or it was going to take control of me and influence me and try to destroy me, which it almost did. You see, all Satan needs is a passive person. He just needs a little ground, a little topos, a little foothold. Because all he wants to do is control your thought processes. And he wants to control your emotions. That's the primary objective. I mean, if you see things in your life like resistance to Bible reading, you see yourself falling asleep in spiritual settings, if you're having obsessive thoughts over and over again, turning over again and again the same, or you have some places of out-of-control, impulsive-type behavior, you're dealing with more, friend. You're dealing with more than your flesh. It's more than psychology. It's spiritual. And so I'm calling on you today to, to recognize that you cannot live passively. That you have to make the decision to forgive. 
the biggest percentage of our problems, the biggest door opener that I've seen in 40 years of ministry is unforgiveness. So here's what, I, here's what I'd like for you to, to think about with me. Here's steps. Would you today ask God to reveal to you, to, you, to your mind, bring to mind people you need to forgive? I'm not saying, again, it's not about forgetting. It's not about excusing. It's about realizing there's a debt. And you've been carrying that debt, but now it's time to absorb the debt. It's time to say, Jesus paid my debt. I will pay this debt. Now, you can't do it if you don't acknowledge the debt and say, this hurt. This was unfair. You can, you can be angry, but you've got to deal with it. Understand at that moment, anybody that's hurt you, understand it through Jesus' pain on the cross and Jesus' payment on your behalf. You've got to understand the significance of the cross for you that, you, that Jesus was treated as you deserve so that now you're being treated as he deserves. And then you decide, I will absorb the debt just as Jesus absorbed my debt. And bear that burden. Decide to forgive. Take your list to God. Now, here, here's what I like to do. Because you see, if, if resentment is a spiritual accounting or psychological accounting of all the wrongs against me, then I like to put on a list, on a piece of paper, write it down, the people I'm forgiving, and then I take my list to God. And for me, I tear the list up once I've forgiven them. I destroy it. Sometimes I burn it. I've burned the list before. And as I've done that, that act of saying, I will not allow bitterness. I will not allow resentment. Here it is. And I give those, I give those people and I give that debt to God. And there is such pleasure and there is such freedom that comes because I'm no longer passive, but I'm actively taking my stand. I'm getting rid of bitterness. Let me pray for you about this. Lord, let no, you've said, let no root of bitterness remain. Paul here says, get rid of all bitterness. I hope today I've conveyed how serious it is that bitterness renders us passive so that even evil, unclean spirits, their personality, their function can then eclipse our personality and we believe their lies. We start saying, I can't help it. I can't do anything else but this. And we become prisoners instead of victors victims instead of victors and you have called us more than conquerors through christ jesus so i ask lord that by your spirit now there would be a movement in our midst that says we will be people who hold on to no debts we forgive our debtors as we have had our debts forgiven in jesus name amen god bless you